0: If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn over to uh, Hebrews chapter 12, be looking at the first portion of that passage in our time together this morning. It may be, I'm not a huge baseball fan, but from what I understand, the shortest major league professional career belongs to a man by the name of Harry Hartman. In 1918, he was playing for the old Brooklyn Dodgers. And he was called up from the minors, given his one opportunity to pitch. Got up there, threw the first pitch, guy hit it for a single. Next guy came up, triple. Next fella came up, he walked him in four pitches. Next fella came up, he finally threw a strike, but the guy cracked that for a single. And we're told at that particular point, he had it. He literally walked right off the field. Went in, got dressed, walked out, found a local naval recruiting station, signed up for the, up for the Navy, and was never heard again in professional baseball history. Now, that's a short career. But that's not normally the way it works for professional players, is it? And that's not normally what happens in the Christian life. Uh, there are some people who kind of come in and they start off and they leave right away. Yeah, we, we, we know that. But for so many Christians, you know what happens? Life just kind of wears against them, doesn't it? It just feels like one problem after another. You're trying to stand for Christ and people are opposing you and the devil's attacking and and it just kind of wears off the edge so often for believers, doesn't it? What what I want to do today, I want to encourage you, believers. Because Hebrews 12 says, comes to believers who just feel overwhelmed with the difficulties of life. Now, their situation in the book of Hebrews is a little bit different than ours, but the bottom line is you have people who just feel like, I don't know if I want to continue the game, if I want to continue to run. Because the Christian life at the end of the day is not a 100-yard dash, is it? It's a marathon, and it gets hard. Sometimes you think like I can't do this any longer, and the writer of Hebrews encourages us in that in that field. So let's come to the text, and, and what what I basically want to answer is this: How do you keep going? You know, Casting Crowns has that song called "It's a Slow Fade," and. You just kind of feel sometimes like you're fading. It's hard. And and, and the Bible says, no, it wants you to realize this is a marathon. And God wants you to persevere and continue. How do you do that? The writer indicates two ways in this text. I want to focus most heavily on the second. But he does indicate something else. Let me just read the text. Hebrews chapter 12, familiar text. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. In the, I don't want to get greeky on you, but, 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 but in the Greek, the key emphasis in that text that I just read is let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Everything else subordinates to it in the text. Everything. And what he says is this. If you and I are going to persevere in our faith, the first thing is we've got to put some things off. Um, perhaps the best way to explain this, in the text here it talks about putting, laying aside encumbrance in the sin which entangles us. Um, if I told you I was a marathon runner and um, I tried to put on a lot of weight, as much weight as I could before I ran a marathon, what would you tell me? You know, Think I know you were nutty. Now I'm convinced of it. I mean, You are you a are loony. You want to be as lean as you can be, don't you? You don't want to wear weights or anything like that. And God says, look, if you're going to persevere in the life I have for you, number one, there's some things you just got to put off. Encumbrances and the sin which so easily um, holds us down. Encumbrances... Doesn't necessarily mean things that are innately sinful in and of themselves. It just means the distractions of life. Are, are sports good? Okay, I mean, I mean, I mean, I love sports, right? Can sports become an encumbrance, a distraction for us in our faith walk with Christ? They can, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And we can pick a whole. Do you really, I mean, you're opinionated on this apparently. But, 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 you know, there's all kinds of things like that that, that are not innately sinful in themselves. The computer, I, lo- I love computers. I use computers all the time. Can they be distracting? See, things that are not innately sinful in themselves can so take my time that they keep me from focusing on what's most important. And this text says, put it off. And the sin which so easily entangles you. If there's anything you're struggling with in your faith walk, and we all struggle, but if there's anything that's overwhelming you that you're holding on to, God says it's going to be so hard to run this life. Because It's hard enough so as it is when you're holding on to things and you say, you know, sometimes I love God, sometimes I love that. Man, a lot, it'll just drag you down. And you know it in your heart. You know what it is that you say, boy, if I'm not careful, it's easy to love that thing more than I love God himself. And this text says, put it aside. The main emphasis of the text, though, isn't there. It is, I mean, that's part of it. If you and I are going to continue, we've got to put aside distractions and sins which hold us down. Okay? All right, Doug. I'm, I, by God's grace, I'm really trying to do that. Now what? Then he says, it's all about where you focus. He tells us where to look. And he tells us where to look. Basically, he tells us to look at three places in the text. Notice what he says. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, the first thing you do is you look around. Now, the imagery of the text here is um, you've got this this marathon runner this runner and he's in a stadium and surrounding him are these great cloud of witnesses now when i was growing up i don't know why i picked this up but some preacher must have told me this i kind of figured that that what this meant was there i was trying to live live the christian life and uncle henry who had died years before and who was now in heaven was up in the stands watching me thinking oh man there he goes again what is up with that kid you know That's, I don't know, somebody, I don't know where I picked that up. It's not what this text is talking about at all, you know, folks. The purpose of the text is not saying they're watching us. You know what it's saying? We're watching them. And who specifically are we looking at that surrounds us? It's people who have gone on before us in their faith walk with Christ. They're all the people that are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. One person after another. Let me have you just for a second go back with me to verse 32 of chapter 11. These are some of the people in the stands. As I'm trying to live the Christian life, and at times it gets so hard, look around. And who are some of these people that you see? Because he's going to say, we're like them in many ways. Look at what verse 32 says. What more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection. Holy mackerel, that's good. So he says, look, as you're running this life, I want you to look around and what you will see in the saints of God that have come before you is A faithful God. Who is so faithful in their lives, there are times when he steps in and he gives them victory in the midst of all their difficulties. And all these great things, people come back to life. Kingdoms are conquered. Daniel's sitting in a lion's den and for whatever reason, well, we know the reason, it's God. That lion's not even hungry that day. Or all those lions. And, and, and all of that is about a God who is at work in their lives, who is at work in our life. Who says, I am so great that I can step into a life of difficulty and I can just sweep away the circumstances and give you victory so you can see I am the great God. Now you're sitting there like me and saying, I don't know, he hasn't swept away some of my difficulties. Look what the text goes on to say. The same God who steps into their lives and at times gives them great victory over those difficulties, at other times chooses to give them endurance through those difficulties. Look what the text says. Verse 35b And others were tortured, not accepting their release in order that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings. Yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. Men of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. See what he says? This great God, as you look around at these people in the past, you will see a great God who chooses in his sovereignty sometimes to step in and to give victory over difficulties. But at other times chooses to give endurance through those difficulties. He doesn't take the difficulties away. He strengthens his saints through those difficult times. You're no less of a Christian Because God does the second rather than the first. Do you know that? He's the same sovereign God. And in eternity, when we look back, we'll say, Wow, I can see it. It all makes sense to me. But going through it sometimes, man, I want to be on the victory side. Don't you? I say, God, I want to be the guy that you do the great victory through the difficulty and take it away. Let somebody else be the other guy or gal. But we got to leave that with Him. But what I want you to know, folks... The point is this, it doesn't matter what you're going through. Because when you look around, what you will see is saint of God after saint of God who trusted in a faithful God at times to wipe away the difficulty and at times to give strength through the difficulty. He's the same God. And you can rest in Him. Do you see? So He says, look, as you are running this life that is before you, I want you to look around. And what you will notice is that they're just like you. Because it's the same God who is over them. But he, he makes this other statement at the end in verses 39 and 40, which is fascinating to me. I love it. Look at what he says. Not only are we like those people, we're actually privileged above them. Notice what the text says. And all these, having gained approval for their faith, did not receive what was promised because god had provided something better for us so that apart from us they should not be made perfect may i ask you something find one of those saints of god in the old testament did they understand the cross the way you do did they understand the resurrection of christ the way you do the coming of the spirit at pentecost the way you do The the way the whole thing is going to come to end at the end of the day when Jesus Christ comes back. Did they understand that like you guys do? Like any of us? They don't. They didn't. And what the writer says is, look, as you're running this life, look around, look around, stay the course, because the faithful God sometimes overcomes their difficulties, sometimes gives them strength through the difficulties. And you know what? As hard as it was for them, you're in a much better position than they are. Because you're on this side of the cross. You understand stuff they never understood. There's a passage in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 11 where Jesus is talking to the crowd about John the Baptist. I love it, it's a great passage. He says, Of those born of women, there has been nobody born greater than John the Baptist. I often wondered about that. You mean John the Baptist is better than Joseph and Daniel and Jeremiah and David and Abraham and all the guys in the Old Testament? Why? You know why, folks? Because he could point to Jesus Christ more clearly than anybody that had come before him. But you know what Matthew 11 goes on to say? Of those born of women, there is no one greater than John the Baptist, but he, we might say he or she, that is least in the kingdom is greater than he. Do you know I'm greater than John the Baptist? Why? Because of my character? I don't think so. You know why? Because you and I can point to Jesus Christ understanding the fulfillment of Scripture in a way that John the Baptist never could. He knew Christ was Messiah, but he didn't know what that all meant. The point is this, as you're running this life and you say, man, it's hard. Yeah, it was hard for them. And a faithful God worked with them, but even more than them. You are in a place of history in which you know so much more about Christ than anybody that ever came before you. Rejoice over that. So if I'm going to run this life, I got to look around. But I also got to look ahead. Notice what the text goes on to say. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on who? On Jesus. That's who we look ahead to. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. He says, look, the writer of Hebrews says, look, life is hard and it just kind of wears away at us over a period of time. And yeah, you come here, you're here Sunday and that's wonderful. And, but there's some days where you just feel kind of just like, I don't know about all. I just, I don't know if I can continue with all this. It's so hard. He says, I don't want you just to look around. I want you to look ahead. And what you see when you look ahead is Jesus. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He's the one that set the course for me and he'll take me the distance. You know, in a race, he's the ultimate champion and the ultimate player coach. He's all of those things for us, folks. And he doesn't ask us to do anything but follow him, but never to the extent that he followed. I I often use this analogy, but this text tells us about it because it talks about joy, it talks about sacrifice, and it talks about blessing. And you know Philippians 2. Jesus Christ, who is God of very God, isn't he? So he is, he's God, God the Son. In perfect fellowship and in joy in the Trinity, and frankly, the Trinity didn't need us, did they? Because God is love, God desired creatures like us with all of our foibles and problems. And Jesus was willing, when that creation had gone astray, Jesus was willing to go from here. To come and become a man, but not just to become a man, as Philippians tells us. But to descend again and again, to be a servant. Not just any old servant, but become human. And not just human, but to die. And not just to die, but die on a cross. And not just die on a cross in such a way that he, he faced physical pain. Other men died on a cross and faced physical pain. But to go to a cross where he would be shamed, not recognized for who he is. And in that whole process, pay for the sins of the world. That's unbelievable. I mean, I, I mean, how can I do it? That, that, that's almost blasphemous because it's way much higher and it's way lower, right? And he says, look, this is what Jesus did for us. And now, as the exalted Lord, he sits at the right hand of the Father. So you think of a V. That's what the writer describes of Jesus Christ. And he calls us to the same thing. I never start here and I never go this slow and neither do you. Because none of us are God. We start like way down here somewhere and we drop about this far. That's it. I mean, I, I mean everything I go through, as hard as it is, it, and I'm not minimizing it, it's just that it can't compare. Do you see? And so he says, look, when you go through this, This gracious God who is now Lord of lords chooses to reward you, to give you himself, and one day in glory to reward you for your faithfulness with all of its foibles and weaknesses. And so there's a little V for me too. It just doesn't compare. Not all to his. For he is Lord Lord and King. So he says, when you are going through these things, be willing to give up, be willing to sacrifice and know that God sees all. Whatever that means. So you're gutting it out as hard as it, you never gut it out alone, you gut it out, you're only gutting it out because the spirit of God is in you helping you. But it feels like you're gutting it out, doesn't it? And as you feel that sensation, he says, I want you to look around, God, a faithful God, look what he's always done with his people. He'll do that with you. And look ahead. And when you look ahead, you will see Jesus, who did the ultimate V. And he calls you just to do a little one. That's all. He says one other thing, and I'll move through this because I know it's taking me quite a bit to get through three, three verses, and I want to go to the verse 11, so we'll move quickly, really quickly here. Look around, okay? See what God has done with people in the past. Look ahead. See what the God-man himself has done. And lastly, look up. Because when you look up, you will find a heavenly Father who is for you in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's who He is. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding of blood in your striving against sin. And verse 5 You have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. When I say discipline to you, do you have positive thoughts or negative thoughts? Don't you? Because what we think is discipline means corrective discipline. I got caught. I did it. I'm in trouble, right? That's what my kids think. That has to discipline you. They think, oh, what do I do now, right? That's what kids think. And that's true. Corrective discipline is part of it. But but in the scripture, there's a whole other concept of discipline. There's not only what we call corrective discipline, there's what we call formative discipline. It's training. You haven't done anything wrong. You're just being trained by God. And this other one is to correct you when you go astray. Don't you do that with your children? You teach your ki- children how to make their bed and to put on their clothes. And I mean, that's just kind of part of life. I'm not trying to torture them. I'm not trying to hurt them. I'm just saying, look, um, you're going to grow up and you got to kind of go on your own. So you've you got to learn these things. I know there's other times to do things that they shouldn't do. And I have to correct them. That's true. But here's the point, Folks, in this text, the indication is not that the Hebrews, the, the, the Jews that he's writing to in the book of Hebrews here, are involved in all kinds of gross sin. These are people that are trying to live with Christ, for Christ. They're really trying to do it. And what he says is, look, discipline. Where I allow things in your life that you may not like, I don't do it because I'm against you. It may feel that way. I do it. Because I'm for you. Because I'm your father that wants you to grow. I'm not out to hurt you. I'm, I, uh, when, they, when they make, um, oh, is it from oysters or oysters that they get? Um, pearls, yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm an expert in these areas, as you can tell. Um, they tell me that the, the farmers that are involved with those oysters and pearls know just how much a piece of dirt to put in there so that it agitates. And, and it just agitates more and more and, and, and I guess it, it excretes something. I don't know, I don't know, whatever. Something happens. And what's the, what's the result of all that? There's a pearl. In our lives, God knows just how much to put in. I don't know, if you're like me, I'm thinking sometimes he's putting in much more than he should be. I can make a pearl a lot easier than this, God. You know, just a little bit less, please. If we feel that way, too. But he knows. He knows all this stuff. And he allows just enough into our life because he says, I want you to grow. Because what he tells us about discipline in this passage is basically three things. First thing is, is, i got some bad news, folks. If you're a child of God, discipline is inevitable. It's just... It's the way it is. Look at what he says in the text. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you endure. God deals, with you, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Um, he says, look, if you're a child of God... He's going to put dirt inside your oyster shell. (laughs) It's inevitable. You say, oh, bummer. But he only does it because he's what what he's trying to ultimately produce. You see? So discipline is inevitable. And he's going to go on and tell us not only is discipline inevitable, but um, but the positive side is it's purposeful. Look at what he says here in verses 9 and 10. We had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of lights and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. You know what he says? And I've often thought about this. I mean, I I try to be a good father, but Fathers, am I right on this? We all fail. There are things we do and say, oh, what was I doing there? But I really do. I mean, my kids don't always understand. I'll say things like, no, you can't stay on the computer any longer. Um, An hour on Facebook strikes me as enough. And there's other things I think you need to be doing. Oh, I just can't understand that. Like, what is up with Dad? He's so out of touch with life. And I think all kinds of things. (laughs) Am I right? I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe, maybe you don't have my experiences, but they're, they're my kind of experiences. But I'm not doing that to hurt my kids. I really do love them. And and I try to do what's best for them because I want them to grow up and be everything God wants them to be. Right? That's what we want. But this text says, look, on my best day, I pale in comparison to God. Because if your earthly father does that, how much more will your heavenly father carefully craft that piece of dirt, place it right where it needs to be, so that what is produced is exactly what you need and what he wants. See, discipline is inevitable. I suppose that's the bad news. But it's no, it's good news, because discipline is purposeful. It's for his glory, and it's for your good. The other part of the bad news is discipline is painful. Look what he says here in verse 11. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. He's a realist. It's hard. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Yeah, it hurts. I've used the illustration with you before. When I was correctively disciplining my children... Um, we used always, when we, when we would spank them, we would use one of those glue sticks, you know, when they were young. Because they weren't injured, but man, did they sting. They really stung. And um, I've often thought of, when I think of them, I think of myself. But, but, but I would bring them in. I'd say, okay, now, honey, Daddy's going to have to spank you for what you did. And, 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 and never, never, ever, and I've I mentioned this before, never, ever, ever, with six kids, did ever, any one of them ever stop and say, Dad, you are so great thank you so much for doing this for me i man, i'm i'm gonna cry now not because you're gonna hit me but just because i'm overwhelmed that you love me so much that you want to hit me so go ahead never my kids are doing nothing but cutting deals with me in that moment i won't do this i promise that stop it am i right i mean this is the way it works it doesn't work but they try it and that's exactly what i do with god I try to cut deals with God. God, get the dirt out of my shell. <laughs> I get it. I don't like it. It hurts. I'll come to church more often. I'll read my Bible more often. I'll pray more. I'll get, right? I mean, we do all kinds of it. We We try to cut deals with God. And God says, no. I, I, I love you too much for that. So it's going to stay in the shell. Because I love you. And you just wait and see what I do in your life. That could never be done any other other way. And with that in mind, he says, stay the course. As you are trying to run this life, I want you to look around. And all you will see is a faithful God who has worked different ways in people's lives in the past. That's true but you're privileged above them because you know so much more. And I want you to look ahead. Because when you look ahead, you'll see Jesus. He's the ultimate example of the V. It's Jesus, plain and simple. And I want you to look up. Because when you look up, you will see a father who is for you in his beloved son. He's not against you. And what he allows into your life is never to destroy you. It is only ever to grow you. So stay the course. I guess the way I've thought about it sometimes is Christians are a, light, a lot like Timex watches. Remember, I don't know if they still say this, but at least when I was growing up, with Timex watches, they used to always say, takes a licking and keeps on ticking. Remember when you were young, the, the Weebles? Weebles will wobble, but they what? They won't, they won't fall down. I mean, Christians are like that. You know, guys even young, do you know what I'm talking about? Weebles do? We, you know, they're heavy on the bottom, and you, and then eventually what happens? They come back up again. I mean, we're like that as Christians, man. You knock us, well, and then all of a sudden, you know, by God's power, spirit, the word ministers to us, someone encourages us, and okay, we write up again, right? We take a licking. But by the power of the Spirit, we keep on ticking. It's what God does. And we're like the Energizer Bunny. We just keep going and going and going by His grace. So I don't know where you are in your marathon. Maybe you're breathing heavy. Maybe you're slowing down. Maybe you've stopped. Maybe you stepped onto the sideline. Maybe you're a spectator who has never entered the race and has never become a Christian. You can't gut something out that you haven't entered. You need to become a Christian before God can help you walk as a Christian. That's the way it works. But I don't know where you are, believer. But I know this. If you lay aside those things that hinder you, And you focus where you need to focus. God will do a work in your life that only he can do. Lord, we thank you for these words of encouragement from Hebrews chapter 12.